Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet and gave him thanks. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Luke couches this story of the cleansed lepers by mentioning that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, which means that Jesus is on his way to the cross to give his life for these men and for all, to redeem and reconcile sinners that we might call upon God once more as our Father and entrust our lives and, yes, our deaths into his good and gracious hands. Jesus passed between the borders of Samaria and Galilee, and as he was entering a certain village, no one knows which one, these 10 lepers cried out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy. We can't be certain whether they were asking for lunch money or whether they wanted to be healed or just what extent of mercy they thought they might receive from him. The text is too general. It's the simple Kyrie eleison that we cried out previously. Be merciful to us. Jesus answers them rather ambiguously. Go and show yourselves to the priests. That in and of itself requires some amount of faith that these men were to simply leave and head toward the temple to show themselves to the priests that the priests could declare them to be clean and welcomed back into the fellowship of the temple. As they were going, they were cleansed. Let all the self-proclaimed masters of the law-gospel distinction come here and kneel in humility. It was when they obeyed Jesus, as they went, that they were cleansed. One of them, realizing that he had been cleansed from his leprosy, gave thanks to God with a loud voice and returned to Jesus and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. We're told that this man was the least likely of all men to do so. He was a Samaritan, an outcast, a heretic, while the other nine, presumably Jews, or nowhere to be found. We marvel once more at the unlikely place in which we find faith. Jesus is no doubt disappointed that the nine did not also return, not with the kind of grumpiness of one who doesn't receive a thank you note, that's not Jesus' grumpiness, but rather that he has more to give. And the nine, in seeing the healing of their bodies, should have returned to him for the healing of their souls. If he can cleanse them of leprosy, how much more can he cleanse them from all sins? And indeed, that is precisely what happens. After Jesus says, where are the nine? Did only this foreigner return to give praise to God? He then turns to this man and he says, your faith has Here's one place where the English translation gets it wrong. It's not your faith has healed you. Remember, 10 were healed. Your faith has saved you. 
And it is those simple words of Jesus that we are meant to take all the way in. When we simply turn to Jesus in thanksgiving and praise for who he is, for what he has done for us, this is faith. And as Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Not your faith and your good works, not your faith and you're finally conquering all sins in your life, not your faith in anything else, just plain faith. Just plain trust that Jesus is who he says he is and your sins are forgiven. As one cleansed leper or one forgiven sinner, I would like to simply return to Jesus and briefly give him thanks. Give him thanks for the salvation that he has poured out upon me but upon each one of you here. You're not here by accident. God doesn't work that way. God has called you specifically to him and brought you to him. He knows his own and his own know him, and he calls each one of you here by name. I give thanks and praise that God has cleansed you of your sins as well. I give thanks and praise for the means of grace that he so abundantly pours out here. This congregation is nothing short of a miracle. In the year of our Lord, 2023, in this dark and arrogant world, this particular place of affluence and apostasy, that there be a gathering of the saints of God, that the word and sacraments of Christ be proclaimed and administered rightly, God be thanked and praised for this highest miracle. And for all the countless hands through which God works to make this all happen. I think of Wendy in the church office, the tireless, tireless labor she does, thankless work and behind the scenes. I think of our vicars who have come through put on the harness and pulled faithfully for the times that they were here. I think of our church council, precious, wonderful volunteers led by Colonel Mike Cheney. And by the way, we have positions open and we need people who are interested in serving, who are passionate about the miracle that is taking place in our midst. We need thankful people. We have a beautiful board of elders, Pat Wiley leading us, faithful men of God who have seen this church through storm and tempest. And our council and our elders together, the men presently serving, stand on the shoulders of leaders who have come before. I give thanks and praise to God for a wonderful organist and the gift of music here, whereby we glorify Christ. And through those songs, the words of God are written into our hearts and our children's hearts. You may well have had the experience where you've heard one of your children or grandchildren humming the tunes or singing the words. It happened to me recently. I almost fell down and wept. It was just incredible from the mouth of little children. Give thanks and praise to God for the elders, the 
ushers, the sextons, everyone who makes everything happen here. But there's more than that. There's all kinds of work behind the scenes. People so grateful at what God has done for them that their lives begin to overflow with thanksgiving and praise. We've got people who come here and vacuum and dust, organize the pews, take out the trash. We've got people who cook, who move chairs and tables, who volunteer and pick up. We've got a glorious groundskeeper who keeps this place looking fantastic. We have so much to be thankful for, to give thanks and praise to Christ. You know, that is the antidote to so much despondency, so much bitterness, so much envy, so much unhappiness, is we don't stop and give thanks for what God has already given. We don't return to him and give thanks that he might pour out upon us all the more. Today is Sunday School Rally Day. I give thanks to God for those who have volunteered to teach our little ones and for the parents who do the morning wrestle, the Sunday morning wrestle to get your kids here and to Sunday school. I know it's not always a joy. Tomorrow morning we'll have a chapel where we'll have 20 plus, between 20 and 30 little ones and their parents gather to hear about Christ, to learn the catechism, and learn about the liturgy of our church. Tomorrow night is a men's study that was put together by men of our congregation who said, we want this, we need this, we know that men especially are under threat in this present age, in this present darkness. We need strong men to lead their families and lead this church. On Tuesdays, coming up soon, we'll have a women's study. That women's study is 20 plus, sometimes over 30. A glorious opportunity to gather with fellow women, study God's word, be encouraged, and pray for one another. On Wednesdays, by the end of this month, we'll be meeting with 7th and 8th graders for confirmation. God be thanked and praised. Can you imagine it? Middle schoolers, brand new teenagers coming in to hear God's word and have that word written in their hearts and minds, not merely for the present, but for the entirety of their lives, that they may pass those words on to their children and grandchildren. On Thursdays, we practically have a second Sunday for you. We've got confession and absolution here from 6.30 to 7 a.m. You can come confess your sins and be absolved. We've got a divine service that goes from 7 to 7.30. It's short, so if you've got to work at 8, you can still get to work at 8. At 8 o'clock, we've got a book study. Right now, we're studying Martin Chemnitz, the second greatest reformer next to Martin Luther. Shortly after that, Vicar's leading us through a Bible study. We're in the Gospel of Mark. God be thanked and praised. And do you want to know what makes it even sweeter? We've got volunteers who come and bring breakfast and cook it so that our souls and our bodies can be fed and well-nourished. God, be thanked and praised. Friends, this doesn't just come out of thin air. There aren't many congregations like this one. Thanks be to Christ. As Friday rolls around, we're going to have a men's night. Come bring whatever you want to grill. Come bring whatever you want to drink. No strings attached. Just come and have fellowship camaraderie. 
There are people in this church that give and give not just from their abundance. There are people in this church that pray and pray daily and faithfully for your pastor and for you. There are people in this church that do all kinds of unseen things. And if I've left you out, I apologize. When I remember later this afternoon, I will give thanks to God for you as well. It is interesting to note the scriptures give the impression, obviously it's true, that Jesus himself, Son of the Father, gives thanks and praise at all times and in all places. But when the scriptures specify the times in which our Lord gives thanks, it's fascinating. When there is not enough bread and not enough fish, that's when he gives thanks. Then the abundance comes. When his own ministry, by earthly metrics, is failing, when the kind of people you would think should be joining Jesus don't, he gives thanks. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to little babes. Yes, even so, such is your gracious will. It's when Lazarus, Jesus' dear friend, is still dead in the tomb that Jesus gives thanks. Thank you, Father, that you hear my prayers. And only then does he raise him. It is the night when Jesus is facing the cross, the mock trials, the beatings, the scourgings, the torture, the nails, the thorns, the crucifixion. It is that very night that he gives thanks and breaks bread. There is a terrible, terrible expression that I learned when I was a baby pastor, when I was deposited out here by your divine call and by the seminary's placement. Amongst the pastors, I heard this phrase, this question, how many do you worship? First, I was taken aback. What on earth could this mean? How many do you worship? And then I figured out, by the way they were talking, they meant how many are in the pews on a given Sunday? But what a strange expression. Maybe a little too much truth in the expression with our infatuation with numbers and money. How many do you worship? The only proper answer to that is, well, one. One God in three persons. No, no, no. I mean, how many are in the pews at Faith Lutheran Church on a given Sunday? To which my next response is, well, I've never, ever preached to less than thousands upon thousands. Scoffs and peshaws. Oh, really? What about those angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven who are gathered invisibly all around us? It's the holy scriptures, not the imagination of theologians, but the holy scriptures themselves that say that angels desire to attend our divine service and listen to what is preached from this pulpit. God's own word. Several years ago in my ministry, I realized that when I walk into the church, sometimes it's only half full. I just need to wait till the sermon and then it'll be full. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I could get grumpy. I could say, where are people? What am I doing wrong? 
And I realize that's the wrong way to look at it. I should be giving thanks and praise for each and every soul whom the Lord has called here. From that moment on, that's what I do. I give thanks to God for each one of you and for all of you. When you attend, what you're saying is this is more important than all the other things I could be doing right now. In your attendance, I know it's to receive the gifts of God, but it doesn't merely have that function. Every other person gathered here sees you here and says, that person gets it too. God be praised. Do you know what heals despondency and bitterness? All kinds of negative thoughts. When you feel them, turn around instead and give thanks to God. Give thanks to God for what he's done for you in Christ Jesus, what he's done here at this congregation. Give thanks to God for what he's done for his people of old. And by the time you're done thanking and praising him, guess what? Your heart is going to feel a thousand times better, almost as if in obeying him, you are healed. Not all of them, not even most of them, just one of them, returned to Christ to give him thanks and praise. And to that one, Christ speaks those words of pure gospel. Your faith has saved you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please rise for the Nicene Creed.